everybody. We're going to go ahead and get started. We have great speakers today, so feel free to, to get your lunch and get seated. We'll get started in a few minutes. Thank you for coming today. Our topic is higher education, higher education spending. Um, we have released a new study this morning. The other one. Um, how much Aubrey does this tower need? And thank you, Neil. It's a great tower. <laughs> And as always, our policy analyses and our book are available to Hill staffers free of charge. So if you'd like a copy of the study, you didn't get one, just let me know. And it's also available on our website, cato.org. I also wanted to mention we're hosting a conference um, November 18th, also on higher education. Details on that are available on the website as well. We'd love to have many of you join us there. Our first speaker today is Representative Virginia Fox, recently reelected to her fourth term this past November. Prior to serving on Capitol Hill, Congresswoman Fox spent 10 years in the North Carolina Senate. She earned her master's and doctoral degree in education from UNC Greensboro, and she also served as a professor and administrator at Appalachian State University, and later as president of Maryland Community College. She currently serves on the House Committee on Rules and also chairs the House Subcommittee on Higher Education. Following her will be Neil McCluskey, the author of our recently released study. He's the associate director of Cato's Center for Educational Freedom. Prior to arriving at Cato, he taught high school English and was a freelance reporter covering municipal government and education in suburban New Jersey. He's the author of the book, Feds in the Classroom, How Big Government Corrupts, Cripples, and Compromises American Education, and his writings have appeared in publications such as the Wall Street Journal, the Baltimore Sun, and Forbes. And with that, I will turn things over to Congresswoman Fox. Thank you very much. Um, I'm, I'm one of the few Republicans um, on the House side that's had much higher education experience, which is uh, why I got to be the chairman of the Higher Education Committee, and it has been one of the busiest times for that committee this year, I think, that it's ever had. Um, so it's been, uh, been quite an experience, and I've been away from higher education for about 16 years, serving in the Senate and, and serving now in Congress. Woohoo! <laughs> and so I've had to... Uh, had to do some homework also. Um, but I, I don't have to do a whole lot of homework on what's been happening lately, and, and neither should a lot of other people um, in terms of the actions of the president. So as most of you know, and it's been in the news that yesterday President Obama announced he was going to unilaterally change the federal student loan program. He promised students that they could only pay 10% of their income toward their loans, and that after 20 years, any remaining balance would be forgiven. He also said that students who consolidated a privately funded federal subsidized loan into a federally funded direct loan could see their interest rate reduced by half a percentage point. He touted that he was doing this because Congress had refused to act. I think as probably most of you are aware, the president's going to try to repeat Harry Truman's uh, situation where he ran against a do-nothing Congress. Now, all of you are pretty young, but you, you might want to read McCullough's book on Truman. It's pretty good. Um, but he decided he's going to take on the function of both the executive and the legislative branch and the Constitution be damned. Um, what he failed to highlight is that his new proposals are not new. He is simply expediting provisions that are already on the books. These are provisions, I might add, that we have no reliable data on. 
and how they will function in real life and what impact they will have on the taxpayers who fund them. The Charlotte Observer reported this morning that, quote, an estimated 30,000 current students would be able to lower their monthly payments through the pay as you earn. More than 85,000 would be able to reduce their interest rates and simplify payments by consolidating their loans. Lost in the debate over student loans is the fact that the most important thing that we could do for those who have these loans is to encourage economic growth and job creation. After all, the only way they can pay back loans is if they have a job. Unfortunately, the Senate is currently sitting on 15 different pieces of bipartisan legislation dealing with job creation that have passed the House already. The President's student loan actions, on the other hand, don't create jobs. They simply encourage more indebtedness and increase the pressure on the cost of higher education. The cost of public colleges rose by 8.3% in the past year and by 4.5% at private colleges. It's really ironic that all this data is sort of coming out at the same time uh, that we're having this discussion. Tuition costs have been rising precipitously for decades, far outstripping the rate of inflation, as anyone who's tried to earn a college degree can attest. And what's the Obama's admi Obama administration's solution to this problem of the high cost of higher education? Increased subsidies to higher education. And we know there's a direct correlation between the amount of money given to higher education and the rising uh, rate of tuition. At a time when we should be having a debate over why higher education costs so much, we instead have an administration that is intent on shoveling ever more money into a sector that has a rather dubious track record of keeping costs down, and I might add a rather dubious track record of creating good results for the people who are attending their institutions. I am not advocating some kind of federal price controls on higher education. I need to make that clear. That's not the approach I want to take. But I do think it's past time that we turn the conversation toward how we can encourage innovation that brings down the cost of college instead of dwelling on how much we can spend on federal subsidies and how we can uh, increase the amount of money that we encourage people to borrow to go to school. I'll stop there and let Neil speak, and then I'll stay for a few minutes uh, for questions and answers. Well, I want to, uh, first of all, thank everyone for coming, and especially uh, Representative Fox. I also want to acknowledge uh, we have Rich Vetter in the room and, and his guys from the Center on College Affordability and Productivity. So anything I can't answer in your questions, which could be myriad things, they can answer because they are absolute experts in this subject. Um, so when scheduling this briefing, my goal was mainly just to get attention to the policy analysis uh, that you saw held up earlier and you can get outside. And when I wrote that policy analysis, I was mainly just trying to, to really get Cato to have kind of a baseline report on higher education so that we have something we can refer to that pretty basically explains what are taxpayers putting into higher education, what are they getting out from it. Um, 
so when I was you know, planning this policy analysis a long time ago, and when we were when that we knew when it was going to come out, we scheduled this. Uh, we didn't have a news hook, um, but you know we didn't know the president yesterday, as Representative Fox mentioned, uh, with the help of Occupy Wall Street, which didn't exist as far as I knew at the time I was writing the policy analysis, that they'd make it all so timely uh, with the president's speech yesterday on on various ways to increase the subsidies for students, talking about loan consolidation and things like that, and so. I'm going to do something I very rarely do, and I want to say thank you, President Obama. <laughs> um, so what is the fundamental problem? I think the fundamental problem we have in higher education and federal higher education policy is that it always sounds so good when you say, let's provide money so that we can make sure everyone can go to college. I mean, who, who's against that? That sounds nice and so warm and fuzzy. Uh, and it remains that way as long as you don't mention what the actual cost of doing that is. And so, of course, we don't mention the cost. In fact, if you had read what the Department of Education put out yesterday to go along with the president's speech, they just put in a line that said this will be to no cost to taxpayers. Didn't explain how that is because, honestly, that's a little counterintuitive. They just said no cost to taxpayers. Oh, so don't worry about it. So. It sounds good if you don't mention the cost or if you can do the other time-honored Washington thing which say, don't worry, we'll make the rich pay this. But we really do need to pay attention to the cost. Um, and as I, I lay out in this PA, I think if people did know the cost, we would all be very worried every time someone said, well, let's make sure everyone can go to college. Um, so I'm going to just give you a little bit of the basics on the cost, there's more in the report, and a little bit on the basics of what do we know we get out of this or don't get out of our investment. Um, and so the cost. I, I did two estimates, and the, both probably significantly lowball what taxpayers are actually paying for higher education, but I was using the data that was available. I should also say this lowballs it because I left out tax credits and deductions. Why did I do that? Well, there are a few reasons. One is it was hard to get good data. The other was that there is a legitimate argument. Is a tax credit a deduction taxpayer expenditures, or is that letting taxpayers keep money that belong to them? I think the latter makes more sense. So I didn't include them. But they do exist to encourage people to spend even more on higher education. So keep in mind when I give you these numbers, this definitely lowballs the amount of government influence on consumption of higher ed. But so if you look at the numbers of what states spend, what uh, the federal government spends, including total loan volume in this first set of numbers, if you look at expenditures on research, roughly speaking, in 1985, taxpayers shelled out about $108 billion adjusted for inflation for higher education. By 2010, that had gone up to about $264 billion a year. Um, and that, if you don't want to do the math, is a 144% increase, a very significant increase, and that is adjusted for inflation. Another thing that we need to remember that we always forget when we talk about things in Washington is if you read media stories on higher education, it almost always starts off with a, uh, an anecdote about somebody who somehow managed to owe like a billion dollars in student loans. It's not you know, that high, but I, I read one this morning about somebody who had $100,000 in loans just from an undergraduate education. And so the intent of those sort of anecdotes is to make us feel 
that there's, you know, this is a human being, we have to help them. What we never do is say, well, what's the pain inflicted on the human beings we call taxpayers who have to furnish the money for this aid? And so I wanted to begin to get at that. And what we can see is, again, if you include all that taxpayers are on the hook for, including student loan volume, we've gone from in 1985, the average taxpayer spent $577 a year on higher education, which is a pretty big number, now to $1,068, over a grand every year for higher education coming from the average taxpayer. And keep in mind, we always talk about higher ed and say that people need a college degree to grow the economy, you know, win the future, things like that. But these people, taxpayers, if they'd kept the money, would have spent it on things that were needs of theirs, housing, food, clothing, but also would have invested it, even if that means putting it in a bank so that they can give it to investors who are going to start new businesses. So it's not like people just bury it in their backyard and yes, unless it's given to the local professoriate. This would grow the economy too, and as I get into the paper, probably grow it faster and better. Now, what if you account for the fact that many student loans, we hope most, we hope all, will be repaid. Um, and if you get rid of research, I put research in the original figure, there's a debate, well, is research really about just getting research done, or does it have an educational benefit? Many faculty members will tell you they have to do lots of research because that keeps them at the front end of their field so they're better teachers. So I eliminated that, and you can debate whether or not it belongs as a taxpayer subsidy. But even getting rid of that, going from 1995 to 2010, and I had to go to 1995 because how the government accounted for student loans changed in the early 90s, so it's hard to get comparable numbers. But if you go from 1995 to 2010, overall taxpayer spending goes from $88.5 billion to 131.6. Now that's smaller than the original figure, but to put it in perspective, it's still pretty big. That would buy you 10 Ford-class aircraft carriers every year. And an aircraft carrier, you know, it's pretty big. It's got lots of stuff on it, pretty expensive. Or if you are inclined to like sports, that would have bought you 110 Cowboys stadiums every year. And if you know Cowboys Stadium, Jerry Jones built the biggest stadium. I know that it could be the world or something like that. It's, it's gigantic. You could buy 110 of those every year. So it gives you a little perspective on it. Uh, on a per taxpayer basis, and that is critical, that goes from $426 per taxpayer to $532. Now, of course, you can see there's a pretty big drop once you get rid of student loan volume. And there are lots of problems with, by the way, how the government estimates what it'll actually get returned, but we'll take them at their word. Well, now imagine what will happen if we go into major loan forgiveness, which is, of course, a huge goal of Occupy Wall Street, and it wouldn't be surprising if that would be the end goal of the Obama administration, probably many in Congress. In fact, there is a congressman from Michigan who has a resolution that says we should forgive student debt, among other things. Well, then that takes us a whole lot closer to that over $1,000 per taxpayer per year subsidy going to higher education. Now, of course, you might say this would all be worthwhile if the aid actually did bring down the cost of college to people who are attending college and enabled them to, to efficiently as possible get skills and ability and knowledge that is economically beneficial. But by all indications, that's not, not what it does. As should be intuitive to everybody in this room, mainly what happens with student aid is 
Colleges raise their prices to capture it because colleges have lots of things they think are important. They're like everyone else and would like to get as much money as they can. And what student aid mainly does is the government says, here, raise your prices and you can have some more money. So already you can say aid is essentially self-defeating and that it won't make college more affordable. Then you have the problem of wasted credentials. About a third of people with college degrees are in jobs that don't require a college degree. So one out of every three people with a bachelor's degree is doing something they didn't need that piece of paper for. Then dig down a little further. There is very likely a big problem of credential inflation. Even those jobs that say you need a degree, they don't say you need a degree because that degree shows you have you know, great additional skills and abilities that are marketable. It's generally used as a proxy for who you are, it means you might show up on time, that you're willing to stick with something for four to six to however many years it takes people to finish a bachelor's degree these days. But there's little evidence that in many jobs, it means you have skills and abilities you could only have gotten to that bachelor's degree. And this is reflected not just in intuition, but you can look at the earnings by education level. The only Education level has gone up in the last 10 years is people with advanced degrees. So even people with bachelor's degrees have seen a decrease in earnings, as well as people with just a high school education and less than a high school education. Now, you might say, well, the reason there's been an increase for people with advanced degrees is because you really need these advanced skills that these degrees are supposed to represent you have. We don't have great data where we can say that's definitely not true, but you can look at literacy assessments that were conducted between 1992 and 2003, and you'll see literacy levels dropping precipitously for people with degrees and advanced degrees. Another check on the notion that, well, you're really getting advanced skills. What it seems to be is you just need a higher degree to separate yourself somewhat from the pack. Um, and then we go beyond the people who have jobs that don't require a degree or the people that have jobs that say they need a degree but don't need skills, and you go to the massive problem, the gigantic problem of non-completers. Most people who start college will not complete within 150% of the time their program is supposed to take. So that means most won't finish a four-year degree within six years, and even much bigger numbers won't finish a two-year degree within three years. And many of those people who don't finish in time will just never complete their studies. So that is almost a complete waste of time for the student and money for the taxpayer. So we see huge inefficiencies on so many levels, in addition just the fact that colleges pretty much just raid their price to capture aid. The end result is that it is almost absolutely clear that taxpayer support for higher education is ultimately a net loss. It is wasted. And it would have been better to leave that money with taxpayers, and taxpayers and students alike would probably have been better off, because students in many cases wouldn't have wasted their time and some of their own money. And those taxpayers, as Representative Fox said, would have used that money much more efficiently, which would have been a much better use for the overall economy, which would have led to more jobs, which would have enabled people who have wasted their time getting uh, often worthless degrees or no degree at all to get a job because there are more of them out there and they don't need degrees. And I think that this is absolutely what has to be understood. If we don't understand that this is almost certainly a net loss, then we're going to keep on seeing, a, unfortunately, Washington especially, 
but also states doing the same bankrupting thing, appealing to people's hearts, you know, saying everybody should get a chance to go to college, while we keep ignoring that we are shooting gigantic holes every year in our feet. With that, I'm happy to take questions and discuss this further.